Hello, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. Uh, before starting recording today, I was telling Haley a couple of dinosaur wine jokes, and I thought I would share a couple with you all today. So just to get this started off on a different page. So what kind of dinosaur loves wine? My guess was a Samosaurus. That's a good one. Or But wrong. <laughs> but wrong. <laughs> How about a terroir adactyl? <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, I have one other one I wanted to share. What is T-Rex's favorite type of wine? Mm, I don't know. Pinot Noir. <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> now that we got that taken care of, and you guys all think that we're ridiculous, um, <laughs> I wanted to say that this week, on a serious note, we are going to talk about the dirty topic of mud. <laughs> some call it mud, sometimes it dirt, some call it soil, but really it's mud. Um, what... So what exactly are we going to be talking about today? I don't know. Mud. <laughs> I don't know. Mud. Oh, gosh. This is bad. <laughs> uh, so mud yeah, in mud, the vineyard. Mud in the vineyard. Mud, mud in, the, in your shoes. <laughs> mud in your car. Um, I think that that is a topic that probably a lot of us are like, what? How does that do with vineyards? But I think it's really important. And so, yeah. I think we're going to both ask a little bit of questions back and forth because yeah. I have some questions about how mud could potentially be an issue in vineyards that I wouldn't know about. Right. Um, and then I think I have some insight from the other perspective. So with that, I just wanted to start the questions with Haley. What type of diseases or things that you have in the vineyard that you could see mud playing an issue with. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Yes, we, so for anyone that um, might not know, we talk about our topics ahead of time a little bit. Um, and so I knew this was going to be a question you asked, but most of my experience is with <laughs> dry, <laughs> arid regions yeah. and vineyards. So I, kn so I know that I'm not as well-versed in this as, as I should be. Yes, but you can I, still have mud at dry, oh, yes. arid vineyards. Yes. We don't have a ton of soil-borne pathogens because mm. of muddy situations, which I know can be like mud sometimes can be the worst case scenario if you have certain soil-borne yeah. pathogens. Because we are in arid climate, so if we have mud, it's it's dries out and okay. there's not as much. I we do have nematodes which can okay. thrive in moist soils. I think I do think there's probably again I, this is not my area of expertise. I ask you a lot of questions about how should I do this and what should I be worried about, but I do think that there's probably nematodes I know need a certain amount of moisture mm -hmm. to kind of thrive. So I don't know if mud 
helps with that, you know, having a lot of moisture and then drying out or mm-hmm. if that inhibits them. But those are some of the worst. What about soil any other water molds? I know that there's some phytophoras, phyrophoras. So the things that we, the most common thing that we probably deal with that is influenced by humidity or moisture is mm. more mildews, molds okay. and mildews in the vineyard. And just general mildew, which, you know, can be a problem if there's mud, but doesn't have to have mud to be present. And then mm-hmm. other other molds and mildews as well. Okay. Okay. Um, and those things would probably be up more in the grapes themselves right. than in like the canopy. on... And, and maybe the leaves. Um, they're found in the whole plant, you know, like like they're, they can be in the bark and everything, but they're going to affect the canopy. And that's where you're going to have problems with development or if they're in the grapes, you know, actual problems yeah. with fermentations and things like that or ripeness levels. Yeah. The reason I'm asking these questions, if you guys are like, wait, I thought you were talking about mud (laughs) is because I just want to get at like, okay, why would mud be an issue? And what Mm. is it showing? Because, you know, mud is kind of a symptom of something. And then you'd be like, okay, what other things or how is that going to actually impact you? And so that's where it gets at. I think mud is a symptom of more of a water issue happening on Uh. your vineyard. And so I just wanted to know if there is anything that you'd be considering with that I think kind of thinking about mildew and those other things that are important it seems like maybe pruning techniques and that kind of stuff would be really important to help combat those things correct completely yeah and then I could see pulling that into again the water and the mud aspect is like not being like those awesome viejo vineyard people that (laughs) in Portugal and growing your grapes on the ground, if you're having a muddy issue, but getting them up and making sure that you're pruning in a way that -hmm. you're not having that transfer between your muddy ground and the water issues that you may be having. And then you're... I also know that grapes tend to want, they don't like wet feet. As plant people say, they like, they like to get water and then have that water be dissipated either in the soil or by uptaking it in their own roots. So they don't like to be just sitting in water. I do think there are a couple native to the U.S. and um, North America grape varietals that don't mind as much to have wet feet Mm -hmm. because they thrive in kind of creek bed areas and climbing in in those kind of situations. So they might be a little bit different. I think they're Repestra. Okay. And, but um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And that makes sense because oftentimes we, when searching for a vineyard site, you're going to be looking for things like south facing slopes in our northern hemisphere. That's going to be good sun exposure. That's also going to help dry out your land. Mm-hmm. You're going to be looking for soil types that are typically well draining so that, right. you know, they're not having that, you know, uh, so, you know, soil at their, their feet. (laughs) The other thing I was thinking about is just like clay soils often Mm. are not going to be as well draining. Part of that, if you just, here's your two second soil thing is you think about if you were to put in a container, tennis balls, 
or volleyballs. Those are going to be your bigger things like sand and there's all that space for the water and stuff to drain through and out. But if you put smaller little marbles or little tiny beads in there, then if you think about that, that's going to be filling in all that space. And so there's going to be more holding of water in that area. And so that's what your clays are doing is this going to, they're going to be more compact. And so that's when people often have drainage issues is some of those soils that adhere to the water more as well as, you know, if they're actually there, they're going to be kind of ponding up as well. Mm -hmm. So soil structure. Soil (laughs) structure. Yeah. So that kind of all gets at, again, like I said, mud is a symptom of water issues that Mm -hmm. then can play into your vine health. So My question is, what are some common practices of irrigation, both on the east side and west side, that um, are used? And Mm -hmm. then we can talk about how those play into your mud management. Right. So when we talk about east side and west side, guys, east side is going to (laughs) be... Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. I'm in Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. more. um, So we're talking about... Are you talking about the Cascades as your kind of break point? Yep. Okay. Rain and shadow so, effect. You can, exactly. can all look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> so Ashley's going to be on the west side of the mm-hmm. Cascades. Haley's going to be on the east side of the Cascades. And typically the east side is much more arid. The west dry side farming. has a lot more <laughs> what we call dry farming, which is mm-hmm. a almost misnomer. It just means you don't have, you don't need irrigation a lot of times because you get enough rain yeah. that you don't have to supplement. I think the rainfall, I mean, it varies depending on when you, where you are, but anywhere from like 35 to 45 up in the mountains can be up to over 100 inches of rainfall a year. And I think Idaho, where you're at, the Boise so, Treasure Valley is 10, 10 inches a yeah. year. So just yeah. for perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so when, so on the, where I am on the east side, I would say most vineyards are planted with drip irrigation. So they mm-hmm. have drip emitters that are focused around certain plants and and they're able to, instead of flood irrigation or overhead spraying, that kind of thing, they're able to minimize the water loss by just putting it right where the plant will need it in its rooting zone. And there are mostly pros to that. There are a couple, you know, not benefits. For the most part, I think most farmers find it to be much more efficient and much more cost effective. Yeah, for sure. Thinking about those economics is really important. Yeah. And not wasting water, not watering a bunch of weeds instead of plants that you want to grow. So, but then on the West side, like I said, dry farming, there's enough water that people aren't... Mm -hmm. You know, I know I know of places in the Willamette Valley even that do have drip systems, but they're much less common. And a lot of times they're only used in severe droughts or to establish a vineyard to make sure there's enough water getting to those plants as they get established. I think we're seeing a little bit more of that coming into play as our um, summers have become longer and drier Mm -hmm. and hotter. This last year, our nursery uh, industry, as well as I'm sure the vineyard industry, really like basically anyone growing plants really saw a big impact because we had those 
115 plus day. And so there's some people that are using them, but like you said, really not like we're doing dry farming because right. we're letting the, we're getting rain our rain the from the, yeah. the clouds above. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, okay. so those are the water managements that I see and kind of the difference between East and West side. One of the things with irrigation to be considering is again, it's all about managing your mud. And so what is great, as you mentioned, is, you know, water conservation, mm-hmm. thinking about your bottom line, like, Hey, you know, especially if you're having to pump, you know, you're going to have to build a well for that, all of that for, for getting your irrigation water typically. And those are a lot of costs, but sometimes with that drip irrigation, you're not pumping as much water. Um, you're limiting it. You're, you're focusing your water. So for one, that's a great cost benefit to, to, there's a lot of upfront costs maybe to, to mm. provide that. But there's some awesome resources out there. If that is something that you guys are like, I really want to move towards an irrigation system, but I don't know that I have the upfront cost. There's, yeah. you know, a couple of different, like there's our federal programs of NRCS that have a lot of great funding sources for for irrigation practices, your local conservation districts, and sometimes some even some nonprofit organizations and state or agencies will will help with at least a a cost sharing portion of that to help front some of that upcut. So if that's an issue for you, like definitely reach out to one of those agencies and, and have those discussions. But in the long run, that can really pay off for you. The other thing with that is thinking about, you know, making sure that those systems are properly functioning and working and and the ends of them. So oftentimes, I think pretty much all, there's a couple of times I've definitely seen some flat ones, but you know, you think of a vineyard, it's on a slope. What happens on a slope? You have issues with runoff, um, if you have a lot of water, um, erosion, and then pooling down at the bottom. And so those are things that you're going to need to address. And and stuff like drip irrigation can help you with that if it's managed and calibrated properly. So it is a system you're always going to be wanting to look at. But those areas where you're finding like, okay, I'm having too much water coming off, if you're either irrigating or dry farming, those bottom areas, those are also going to be vectors of disease pathogens. So that's where kind of getting back to the top of the hour, where I was talking about like, what types of diseases or things could you be wanting to avoid in the vineyard? That is kind of getting at those muddy areas are going to be the vectors. And even if like it's at one part of your farm, if you're driving through that portion, you're walking through that portion, you're going to be potentially moving those pathogens. If you're driving out, visiting your local friend's vineyard, you're going to be taking those pathogens with you. So that's like, in my mind, the number one reason to be like taking care of that at the vineyard. Yeah, definitely. So that kind of gets into a question I had, and this is not necessarily... Like we don't have any, we don't have any animals, but I think yeah. that this is a really good, so you don't want to be cross-contaminating, but also we talked a lot about compaction and how much compaction yeah. can be a problem when you're grazing nearing streams uh, yeah. in our grazing episode. So 
I'm assuming one that your grazing animals can also be vectors, like they can yep. pick up mud and then transfer it. Mm-hmm. And two, how does mud play into compaction and vice versa? Yeah. So I'll I'll hit the first one of yeah, they can be vectors. It can also be um really bad like for animal health. Like mm. if animals' hooves are constantly in a muddy scenario, um, then or if they're not a hoofed animal, but you know, they're, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah. Or, you know, even just like, again, eating stuff in there. Um, if they're pooping in that same muddy area, there can be those disease vectors. So that's Mm. like for your animal health is a really good reason why we often graze like, you know, sheep, they're not going to be as heavy to like maybe cattle being heavier. So you think about that weight, Kind of back to my initial discussion about, you know, that container with your volleyballs and your tennis balls and your little tiny marbles and Mm -hmm. tiny, tiny beads. If you think about your soil with that mud in it and then and you have like something that has those bigger things versus smaller things, you if you have like the bigger things, you're going to have more area for roots to get down in, water to flow through. You're going to have healthier soil. If you're moving towards an area, even if it's, you know, like sandier, but you're constantly like compact, like running a thousand pound animal or even a lot of little, you know, 50 pound animals (laughs) over an area, what's going to happen is it's just going to keep compressing all those spaces in between those soil particles to a point that when you put water on it, there's not going to be the space in between those particles for that water Mm -hmm. to go to. So then you're going to get pooling, you're also going to have, um, it's going to compact. So then if you do say, oh, I want to put a pollinator meadow out here, or I want to just put some grass because this area is getting muddy, you're going to end up having issues because the area is going to be so compacted that it's, there's not going to be any of that air flow space in between the actual particles for your roots to get down into. And so This kind of goes into like grazing pasture management, but you can also think at your vineyard if you're having those issues. One of the best things people say, oh, I can just throw more grass seed out there. That'll fix the problem. But if you're in an area where the grass seed can't establish because it's so compacted from that constant like, you know, pressure, Mm -hmm. or it could even be not grazing, but driving your car over continuously. That's a common thing that people see is those muddy areas and you're constantly driving your car and then it dries up in the summer. It dries up, you know, in your arid environment, but you can't get any plants to establish there. Mm-hmm. It's because of those compaction issues and the that things can't get in there. And so how do you remedy that? If it's something like a road, heavily dried, drivable area, put down some cobble, put down something to like, you know, help that. Um, If it's, you know, an area that you're grazing, take those animals off, let that air like, you know, and you're gonna put plants, but by getting it off, it's gonna allow anything to start establishing and start breaking that back up again. Right. People often also want to just be like, oh, I just got to till it. And then it will, that'll fix the issue too because it'll, you know, 
create those spaces. But it's a band-aid and it's not because if you're then going out and you're driving on it again or you're grazing on it, you're just continuing that that issue. So if you're Yeah. No, that's that's really (laughs) that's really where it comes down to. And it's just I don't I don't think we all like I didn't realize that and when I first started learning about this, but it kind of plays in and I think I'm always in the long haul game of like Mm -hmm. I don't think you wanna spend a lot of money on something like putting a bunch of seed on there. We've talked about how expensive seed can be or, you know, bunch of tilling and all of that stuff, which you're just going to be breaking up what soil aggregates, how the soil kind of blends together and you're going to make it so it's finer. And Mm. then it's just going to keep adding to that issue. So you really have to get to that root cause. So if you were talking about, you know, if you had like a muddy area and you decided Mm. I want to put in a pollinator habitat here, uh, maybe not in the mud, but um, if it does die out, <laughs> would that be a good situation to till and then plant? Or is it? I it mean, I <laughs> I think till can be used, but typically we're finding more and more that working towards no till is better because of okay something called soil aggregates. And yeah. this is a, a topic that I honestly, in the last couple months, have been learning more and more about. Right. If you go out and you get a clod of dirt and you look at how it's kind of like clumping together, like that's what kind of getting at a soil aggregate, you want that. You um, And by continually tilling is you're breaking apart your soil. So it's not naturally binding together. You're not getting those roots right. and other bio like bugs and other bio biology, <laughs> basically biology in your yeah. soil, whether it's plants, bugs, you know, like earthworms, right? like all of those things are really good because they're creating those pores. They're helping the soil bind together. Constant tilling is breaking it apart. And so that you're having your soil become finer, essentially. I mean, that's just making it super basic, but, um, I never thought about it like that though. So that's a good way to like break it down into simple. Yeah. I think that there could be scenarios where tilling is okay. And I don't want to say like, don't ever till. Um, but I think that, the reasons that we often think that we need to till aren't actually going to fix the issue. Right, right. I was even thinking we went, uh, we did a soil school together. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I think they suggested was using a, uh, I'm going to forget what it's called. Basically Mm -hmm. it's, it's doesn't till, but it like pokes holes so that you can then plant seeds in the holes rather than tilling. A no-till drill. A no-till drill. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to call it a drill, but I was like, uh. It's a drill. Not like a it's z- like z- poking. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we we have not reached out to our extension to see about renting it, but I do know that there are rentals available in, in the Treasure Valley area. Yeah. That piece of equipment can be so expensive, but there are like, there are resources. There are people yeah. that only you, that have invested in one and and have it available, like talk Mm -hmm. to your neighbors. Sometimes too, it's like getting a group of people together to buy something can be um, a good thing. Talk to your extension, talk to your conservation districts, talk to maybe a farming co-op of sorts, um, because sometimes you can get people to, to, if they don't have it, to say, hey, there's enough interest, like let's all get this together. And then we just kind of like, 
similar to the bottling machine that y'all use in the (laughs) vineyard, just like, you know, each week or whatever you you move it around as you need. Um, So that's, that's getting at like a much bigger, like, you know, issue of, okay, if, if you wanted to till it, but, um, or, or in a bigger system, but so manage the mud. A <laughs> little bit of a turn from managing yes. mud to sometimes we just don't have the option and we have to work in muddy conditions. Yeah. A lot of times we'll try and wait, but sometimes you can only mm-hmm. wait so long and then it's like, well, the mud's still here and we still have to yeah. do whatever we need to do. Do you have any suggestions on how to either minimize that disturbance or mm-hmm. even like tips on how to work in the mud so that you're not... <laughs> Yeah. in the mud so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> whether that's like planning ahead like I think there's two parts to this question planning ahead to like divert water maybe or mm-hmm. uh if you're not if that's not an option what you know can you put down straw can you whatever I don't know what it might be yeah well I was gonna say in those areas of like bigger traffic a road scenario I think investing in something that putting down like a gravel or something is really important in that scenario. It is an investment, but I think that it will help pay off. One, even in labor, like about if it gets really muddy and you're constantly driving through that, then like you're going to end up getting stuck and then you're going to be out a half a day because people Mm -hmm. are going to be like, get in the car and stuff. I mean, that's the worst kind of case scenario, but but these things happen or, you know, it's creating ruts in your road that, you know, lead to just issues overall. So preventative measures like ID where those sources of erosion and mud puddling are ahead of time and try to like, you know, fix them by Mm -hmm. either, like you said, hey, let's, do we need to put in a French drain? Are we finding that there's a big issue here from runoff from our facilities that's then going out and creating this muddy pit? So, hey, we need to install a French drain. Think about that. Um, Do we need to, you know, like I said, cover it with some, I know hay can be used. Do think about like hay is going to break down and Mm -hmm. so it's not going to be a long-term solution. The thing that really comes to my mind of like, hey, we're out there, it's muddy. What should we be doing to to not to minimize the problems as much as possible? I think it's really important, one, to clean your stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And that means like get the get a boot brush. You can buy them online, super cheap in big packs. A boot brush pro tip if you want to like get them cheap is a horse pick, okay? So there are horse picks that you buy for your horses that have a brush on one side and a pick on the other, and they work great. So go to your local livestock (laughs) store or go to Amazon or your place. I shouldn't be supported, but yes, go go online, (laughs) go someplace and just look up. um, You can look up boot brush. That might be, you know, like weddings marked up because you said boot brush, but if you look up horse pick, it's the same thing, or that's that's what you would be looking for. Um, okay. And so make sure to clean those off, especially if you're working your boots, from... you mean. Yeah, your boots or just other like, stuff. Like if you're working between oh, yeah. one field to the next, make sure to clean off in between. Um, invest in some sort of, you know, system, whether that's like 
you know, if you have a lot of stuff like it might be, and you, you want to be mindful that you're not creating a mud pit someplace else, but like spraying some stuff out, go get your car wash. If you're moving from, if you know that you have some pathogen on, on a field and you're moving into another, I know it's silly, but like go to a car wash and get your car washed. Like <laughs> I used to inspect nurseries and I would get my car washed in between because I didn't, cause I knew I was driving in muddy fields and I didn't want to move those pathogens from place to right. place. So, um, you know, spray off your boots with, um, you know, I usually use just like an alcohol yeah. spray. So, yeah. but there's lots of different options, but clean your boots just like you would do in the vineyard do the same thing outdoors i think kind of to tie things up so we talked about east side west side on yeah. the west side it's kind of a wetter climate <laughs> yeah and so i don't want to there we could go back and forth and talk like there's there's whole schools based on these different things so yeah. um in your climate are there certain cover crops that are better suited for mud control Oh, I think really, honestly, any cover crop, like often, I mean, it depends on where it is, but that cover crop is a great suggestion, great way to get in. I mean, it gets into that previous conversation we had about like compaction issues and just getting something on there um, that's going to be pulling up and it's going to create good soil health that's going to transpose into other things. So um, honestly, any cover crop. I and. I know a lot of times over here, clovers and mm-hmm. stuff like that are great, yeah. um, easy to do. Or you can go to some sort of more expensive option, but, you know, native pollinators or something, depending on where right. it is. But getting yeah. something on there is the most important thing. Cool. Uh, I know this is a question you like to ask. Is there anything that you would like well, you that I didn't ask you that you would have liked me to? I mean, I think this topic is a pretty simple topic. Just like do what you can to control the mud. It will help you in the long run. Um, And not just um, for like your soil health either, like for your sanity, because if you're just hauling mud all the time in and out of your building, in and out of your car, like eventually you get sick of it and you're just, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that's a very minor part. Of, like, do it for the soil no. health. <laughs> I mean, you may end up getting some pretty good calves from like, carrying around all that extra weight so, <laughs> of the mud on your boots. But yeah. I mean, it's an inevitable thing that happens. But I think just being mindful of it and think about ways you can limit it is going to help in the long run. Definitely. So, and prevent other things. It's all about prevention. So, yes. Yeah. Cool. I think that's easy. We, we keep it easy, you know? Yeah. Oh, I guess one thing I just thought of, <laughs> put gutters on your buildings. Yes. Make that investment. We put did gutters and that, be right. mindful of where those gutters are going out to. In our area, I am a big proponent of like putting it into rain gardens, putting it into like you know, some sort of French drain or something, but like be super mindful of that. Yes. Um, And if you want to capture your rain, that's great. Just make sure you do it responsibly because a lot of people don't realize that they're creating, they think, oh, I'll just put like a barrel here and catch all my rainwater. It'll be great. And they're actually creating more of a bacterial and pathogen problem. So make sure you capture your rainwater responsibly as well. And make sure you know your local laws. Every county is different about capturing rainwater. Um, And also be mindful 
I think we've talked about this before that if you capture rainwater um, from your gutters that there's going to be pollutions in there. Mm -hmm. So be mindful of that and where you're You're ultimately using it. So, well, thanks everybody for listening. Hopefully uh, this mud episode was helpful to you. I know that as we've gotten further and further into our vineyard venture, we deal more and more with things like mud and it's always nice to hear the tips and what you should and shouldn't be doing. Cause sometimes we just don't think about it. We think mud's mud. It's, it's just dirty, but really we shouldn't be working in it. We shouldn't, we should be trying to avoid making further problems. So it's really good to learn these things. I was going to say too, that I don't, I don't think I know all the great mud tips. So please let me know mm. if you have other mud tips and 100%. we'll share them. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Go. <laughs> no, that's great. Yes. Please write in. You can always reach us at wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, always know that you can subscribe, share, uh, give us feedback about what you'd like to hear more about. And we can't wait to talk to you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.